Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we'll be talking with Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes & Associates, and he's going to be filling us in on some information about documentation and registration for your boat, as well as taxation issues. Before I bring in Curtis, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. We've been having some technical difficulties getting Curtis connected this morning, but I think we've got him now. So, Curtis, if you're there, let's go ahead and jump in and have you start by giving us a little bit of your background. Sure. Well, thank you. And again, it's good to be here and apologize for the technical difficulty. But uh, we're at uh, Admiral Level, sponsor of the AGLCA. We uh, specialize in uh, marketing and selling Great Loop capable boats. And uh, we deal uh, all over the country. We have eight offices around the country. And our sales are spread out in all the different states. So we deal with these issues constantly. And the first and foremost issue is I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an accountant, so I can't give tax advice or legal advice. So whatever I'm discussing today or any day on this you know, issue is uh, just from our personal experience as brokers helping our clients. Uh, but every state has its idiosyncrasies. It's uh, very much like the customs and border patrol uh, rules and regulations. Uh, it depends on who you speak to that day. Uh, there are a lot of different interpretations, you know, wherever you are, unfortunately. Uh, there are some things that are uniform around the country, but uh, a lot of it is just uh, luck of the draw, unfortunately, we find. Uh, we do something mm-hmm. one time. And then we find out uh, at another, you know, agency or state uh, that they've changed the rule or that someone's misinterpreted it uh, just because they're new or just decided that day to make a change. So <laughs> it's so, frustrating, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it keeps us busy, that's for sure. Sure. And I guess that, that's probably why you put this seminar together is at least to try and get out some information on what is supposed to happen. Um, any suggestions if you do get that new person who isn't aware of some of the rules? How do you handle that? You know, we can explain today what should happen, but what what should they do when that doesn't happen? Well, really, the only thing you can do is to ask for a supervisor or if you're going to, say, a tax office, you might even want to consider going to another tax office if it's an issue that you just can't get resolved. Um, it's, it take Florida, for example. I mean, you can reach someone at uh, the Department of Revenue and uh, you get a call center and good luck. And then we have someone we deal with full time there who pretty much runs the show. So we get, you know, the final answer. Uh, You may have to go up that high to get a correct answer. Not all the time, but just every now and then, you know, something gets hung up and you do need that upper level uh, support. Worst case scenario, you just might have to hire a maritime attorney. Uh, you know, I know nobody wants to spend the money on a maritime attorney, but if it's that serious, then certainly that's an option and get them involved. But 99.5% of the time, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. But, you know, when it goes off the rack or tracks, then, you know, it's time to bring some help in. Okay. 
So uh, let's assume uh, someone has just bought a boat for the Great Loop or, or hopefully is starting to, to look at these questions before they purchase. Um, but let's start with uh, documentation, Coast Guard documentation. When should you do that versus a state registration? Well, it's a choice unless you're financing. Any uh, lender uh, is going to require you to document the boat with the U.S. Coast Guard. They're going to have what's called a first preferred ship's mortgage uh, so that their loan is recorded as a lien on the boat. And the first thing that any documentation company does in representing a buyer is that they do an abstract of title, which is a lien search like in real estate. Uh, they go to the Coast Guard. It takes a good three days these days for the Coast Guard to respond, and they submit uh, the abstract of title, which shows whether the title is clean or whether uh, there are any liens against it at the Coast Guard Documentation Center. Okay. Um, and what's typically the cost for this? Because we've been seeing and hearing a lot of questions about um, some scams out there that people are kind of trying to provide the service, particularly for renewals. Um, but they're not actually part of the Coast Guard and are doing it for a pretty hefty price. Yeah, that's right. And uh, don't pay uh, the uh, the scam company that's out there. I think it ends in .com or I, I have to look it up. I don't have it in front of me. But uh, you have to make sure you're dealing with the U.S. Coast Guard Documentation Center site itself uh, and, and not the company that purports itself to be you know very close to them. Uh, they're just like another comp any other company out there trying to handle your documentation for you, and they charge you a lot of money for uh, renewal. You can handle your renewal yourself. You can even document the boat yourself. Um, but I run into probably a half dozen deals or more a year where someone handled their own documentation, even registration in some cases, and made a mistake. You know, the Coast Guard is a big government bureaucracy. They don't go out of their way to tell you you've made a mistake. They just file the paperwork. And when you find out about it, it's when you have the boat under contract as the seller, and suddenly there's an issue. Uh, the transom ID, uh, hull ID number doesn't match up with what's on the Coast Guard documentation, the certificate of documentation. Uh, so then you have to go back and get all that straightened out. Uh, a lot of people with trusts, uh, some, we've seen where they don't have the paperwork proper or uh, sadly someone passes away and the trust isn't uh, written properly or an LLC or a corporation and suddenly you have issues there with the Coast Guard. And I've seen deals uh, delayed up to six months because of the Coast Guard trying to figure out uh, the, you know, the problem. Um, so for cost, typical documentation companies to document your boat and uh, the abstract of title, the bills of sale, the entire closing process, uh, I see them charging anywhere from 6 to $650 to handle that. And state registration really is usually about uh, 200 <laughs> yeah, uh, usually about 200 250 for the state registration. And some people choke on that and go, I can do it myself for free or very little money. And I'm like, yeah, sure you can. But like I said, I, I you know, we're selling 20 to 30 boats a month and we just see this so often where someone has made a minor mistake and it becomes a major issue. So for that kind of money, to me, it's worth every cent. But, you know, everyone right. you know, is going to do it their way. So. Yeah. Well, if you do decide to use a, a company for this, particularly for that initial 
documentation. The renewal is much easier, but particularly for the initial, we do have a sponsor who does that, and they are all yacht documentation. Um, they can be found on our website, so um, certainly recommended to make sure a professional does that. So you mentioned that if you're financing, then you do have to have the Coast Guard documentation. If you're not financing, is it something that you would recommend anyway, or in that case, is just a state registration sufficient? No, I would recommend documentation uh, for foreign cruising. If you're going to Canada or the Bahamas, you really need to be documented. Uh, it's it just it's a better way of going uh, than the state registration. Now, if you're a non-U.S. boat owner, uh, then you can't document with the U.S. Coast Guard. So you can state register it, uh, but a lot of, let's say, Canadians will flag the boat in Canada and get on a cruising permit. So uh, you won't be able to document it if you're you know, not a, a citizen of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Okay. So since most boats will be Coast Guard documented, uh, or most boats doing the loop would be Coast Guard documented, um, do you also need to be state registered? You don't need to be uh, in most cases. And I say in most cases because, uh, like Michigan is an example, there are idiosyncrasies I mentioned earlier when you cruise into Michigan, uh, the uh, Marine Police are uh, really uh, well known for stopping boats and fining them for not being registered in a state and only documented. And typically the fine is the same price as registering it in the state. So some of our clients have just shrugged their shoulders and said, I'll pay the fine if they harass me. And some people don't want to be harassed, so they just get registered in a state like Delaware that doesn't have uh, any sales tax. And uh, then they're covered there. Uh, Florida, if you want to get the sojourner's permit, you have to be state registered in some state, not just documented. So it does make sense to both state register it and document. And those terms are important because I hear people say, I'm registering with the Coast Guard or I'm documenting with a particular state. You know, you only document a boat with the uh, Coast Guard. It's a form of registration and you register with the with state. You cannot get a title in a state and document a boat. It's one or the other. But you can document with the U.S. Coast Guard and register with a state. So people shake their heads at that and go, run that by me again. It's all these terms that people have to remember and get straight in their mind, uh, and, and it's important. Right. So you mentioned um, in that last answer about uh, tax. So let's jump into that, which can certainly have um, – <laughs> be a very complex issue, um, but let's kind of start with the basics. Um, so when you're buying a boat, what is tax typically based on? Well, and again, I'm not a lawyer or accountant, mm -hmm. so what I will tell you, though, is that it is legally possible to cruise the Great Loop and not pay sales or use or excise tax to any state legally. Um, and, you know, that's not a legal opinion. That's just from watching uh, how the process works. You know, tax is based, tax status is based on the length of the time a boat is in a particular state and your residency. So people say all the time to me, I'm going to register my boat in Delaware. I'm going to form a Delaware LLC and own the boat in that entity. And I'm not going, therefore, I won't have to pay any tax. That's not true because even if you did that and you moved your boat to Maryland and you stayed too long, Maryland's going to eventually catch up with you and say, we'd like our 5% excise tax, please. So you really do um, you know, have to pay tax to a state if you stay too long. 
if you're cruising constantly, then you're not falling within that guideline. Of, most states are, are 30 to 90 days uh, before taxes do. You know, they allow cruisers to come into their state as non-residents uh, between 30 and 90 days, and every state is different. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Florida. Since you said it was 30 to 90 days typically, Florida is where loopers may spend the longest amount of time uh, because we just see a lot of people kind of meandering through Florida in the wintertime, not wanting to get too far north until the weather warms up. Um, so what's the time frame in Florida? Um, when would tax be due? And, you know, tell us what to do if you if the, maybe the boat needs some repairs and you can't physically move it out of state within the time frame. Sure. Well, in Florida, you if you buy a boat directly from a seller, it's a private sale, and you have to pay sales tax. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter whether you're a resident or non-resident. And a lot of people don't know that, and it's hard for the Department of Revenue to track that. So a lot of people get away with it, uh, I gather. But um, legally, you're supposed to pay sales tax if you buy one privately. The law in Florida was set up where if you buy a boat through a dealer, we can provide a 10-day, 90-day, or 180-day sales tax exemption affidavit. And so I guess the reasoning was that we're licensed and bonded dealers and they can keep track of us uh, and our sales through our, their audits and uh, through our monthly reporting. So we do a sales tax exemption affidavit that gives you 10, 90, or 180 days tax-free cruising in the state, and then the boat has to be removed from the state and you have to provide, say, a fuel receipt or a dockage receipt in some other state, not the Bahamas. It has to be another state. And we submit that to the Department of Revenue. And then you have to get, get us a, a copy of your certificate of documentation or your state registration. And we give that to the state. And then they close out your account. And you're good to go. You cannot return to Florida within six months. You have to stay outside of Florida for six months after doing this affidavit before you can come back in. And after that, then you don't owe the tax. Um, you can also stay in the state if you're having repairs done and delay your departure for 20 days, but they're very strict about that. Uh, if those 20 days are up and you have a weather delay, they will send you a letter uh, saying that you owe the tax. And if they haven't received that fuel or dockage receipt in time, you get the letter automatically saying you owe us tax, prove it, you know, that you don't. And also another thing in Florida and some of the other states is that tax has to be paid on any boat that's five net tons or less. That's important because tenders are always five net tons or less. So you have to pay tax on any tender that you buy with the main boat in Florida. Okay, good to know. So I think there's generally a lot of confusion and the, and the discussions pop up on the AGLCA forum. Uh, lots of confusion between the differences between sales tax and use tax and excise tax. Um, here in South Carolina, we have a personal property tax. Um, kind of explain those and, and how they apply. Well, sales, use, and excise tax are kind of the same thing, if you will. Sales and excise tax are paid, you know, when you buy the boat, use uh, tax is paid uh, when you already own the boat and you come into a state and you're declaring that you're now going to keep it there and pay the tax. They're usually the same amount, so that's why I say they're all pretty similar. Uh, but that's you know that's the, those are one group, and then you have the annual property tax in states like the Carolinas and in Georgia and some of the other states. 
And uh, there's always the famous, you know, on January 1st, uh, everybody tries to get their boats out of the marina and go anchor out somewhere while they're doing their uh, audit of what boats are in the marina for the personal property tax. Uh, but in some states you can stay up to six months, some day, uh, states you can stay 60 days uh, before the personal property tax kicks in. Okay. Um, and t tell us about reciprocity. How does that work? Reciprocity, if you, let, let's, uh, I'll give you an example. If you're in Maryland and you pay a 5% excise tax there, and then you cruise to Florida and say, gosh, we just absolutely love uh, Fort Myers. We want to move here and keep the boat here full time and you register the boat in Florida, Florida will say, okay, you paid 5% uh, to Maryland. We see that, so we'd like our extra 1% to meet the 6% uh, sales tax here. And so there is that reciprocity between most states. Uh, people do that all the time. Now, in a lot of states, there's also a tax cap. Uh, I was anticipating you'll probably ask that next. Uh, like in Florida, there's an $18,000 tax cap. So if you're buying a boat over 300000 all you're going to pay is 18000 uh, Anything below that, you'll pay the actual 6%. In Maryland, it's 15000 uh, You know, In South Carolina, it's $500. Um, in North Carolina, it's a 3% sales tax with a 1500 cap. So as you can see, every state is different. They all have you know, little uh, nuances that you have to really know. Uh, Virginia is a 2% sales tax with a $2,000 cap. Mm -hmm. So. That's some of the states you just listed make it kind of sound like a bargain, like South Carolina, for example, where it's, you know, $500. Are those typically the states, though, that then have an annual property tax that goes with it? Is that how that works? Is that why it's so much cheaper, you know, on the front end? Right. Yep. Like for South Carolina, to make it even more complicated, I'll give you an example. You know, their annual, your annual property tax there, it's the tax is based on 10.5% of the value of the boat. It's not a 10.5% tax on the value of the boat, as, as a lot of people think. It's uh, based on the value, you know, 10.5% of the value of the boat. So, uh, and if you declare it your second home or primary home, it's even less. So it gets pretty complicated. Uh, a lot of people say, I'm going to buy a boat in South Carolina so that I only have to pay five, uh, $500. And that's fine until you move to Maryland and fall in love with Maryland and keep your boat there, and suddenly you're paying the difference. Again, that reciprocity issue. Uh, but right. up front, yes, there are states that have better caps than others and better tax rates, too. Right. So are there also county and city taxes on boats in some places? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Virginia is well known for that. Uh, Middlesex County in, in uh, Virginia has a tax where neighboring counties don't, a personal property tax. Uh, so the Deltaville area has been hurt with uh, boats moving outside of the area to the neighboring counties. Um, mm -hmm. There are counties, uh, like you know, in South Carolina that will add, Georgia will add. So different places have uh, county and city taxes. New Bern in North Carolina, you know, will have a separate tax. Uh, they're all different, and you really have to check. But simply calling the tax office in that area, Googling, you know, the New Bern, uh, uh, Craven County tax office in, in New Bern will, will get you the number and you can call them and ask directly. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When I come back, um, it would be great if we can talk a little bit more specifics on some of the more popular states um, where boats are often purchased. Um, and then maybe talk a little bit specific to bloopers um, 
you know, what the options are in terms of trying to maximize the, these tax laws to your own advantage. So we'll be back in a moment. The new MJM-50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available. First worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in waves underway or at anchor. And in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy compounds composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant. A smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100% better fuel efficiency. A top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots. A more responsive, enjoyable driving experience and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guest today is Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes & Associates, and we are talking about documenting, registering, and tax issues for your boat for the Great Loop. And, of course, um, as Curtis mentioned, he is not an attorney or a CPA. Um, this is based on what he has seen happening as a, a practical matter in the many boats that he sells for the Great Loop. So, Curtis, tell us a little bit. Um, you know, you covered a little bit of the basics in Florida um, and a couple of other states, but... Uh, maybe just to kind of run through the numbers for some of the more popular states for buying a boat. Sure. Well, uh, I'll just kind of fix some at random, but say Alabama, where we'll have the fall rendezvous in Rogersville. Uh, a lot of people like to buy their boat in Alabama because it's a 2% sales tax state. There is no cap there, uh, you know, like Virginia, let's say, uh, and you can cruise tax-free for about 90 days. Uh, so that's a popular state. Tennessee is a little more restrictive. Theirs is typical 7% uh, with a local tax usually. And you only have three days to remove the boat from the state. That's, that's the most restrictive I've seen uh, where they are very strict about that three days. And a lot of people will buy their boat in Tennessee and quickly move it to Alabama uh, to get out of that high tax in that area. Uh, again, you have about 90 days to, to cruise there. Uh, a lot of people you know, come through Kentucky uh, there's uh, 6% on a, a boat if you buy it through a dealer. There's no tax on private sales. So the you know complete opposite of Florida. A uh, good example of how every state is completely different, can be 180 degrees from another state. Um, but there's no personal property tax in Kentucky, uh, so that's popular with a lot of folks. Uh, Illinois, six and a quarter percent sales tax uh, from the dealer only. You know, there is no tax on non-dealer or private sales. Uh, so if you buy a boat through a broker who doesn't own the boat, is just acting as a broker between a buyer and a seller, uh, then uh, Illinois won't charge the tax. And you can cruise there 60 days tax-free as a uh, existing owner. Um, Michigan mentioned that earlier, you know, 6% sales tax there. There is no cap. And, um, I mentioned they like to find unregistered boats that cruise through there. They're, you know, pretty particular about that. Uh, New York, uh, eight and a quarter percent, uh, you know, on the first, but they cap it at two hundred thirty thousand, which is different than the other states. So they don't cap it at eighteen thousand tax or fifteen thousand cap tax or five hundred. They tax it on the value of the boat, two hundred thirty thousand. That's fairly new, uh, a new law that they passed. 
And then New Jersey has a 7% sales tax, and they just uh, passed a law where there's a 50% exemption, and it's capped at uh, $20,000, the tax. So uh, you can see every state has tried to be a little competitive or be different than, you know, the other states around them. Of course, there's always Delaware. Like we said, there's no sales tax in Delaware. Um, registration fees are based on the size of the boat, so it runs anywhere from 10 to $180. And uh, that's a very, very popular venue uh, for, for registering boats. But again, just because you register there uh, doesn't mean you're not going to pay sales tax if you stay in a state too long. But it's because of Delaware corporate law, it's a very popular state to form an LLC or a corporation for boat ownership. And I mentioned so Maryland. Uh, yep, yep. Go no, go ahead. Let's hear about Maryland. Okay. Uh, Maryland, it's a 5% excise tax, and they cap it at 15000 uh, You have a 60-day cruising uh, window there for tax-free. The uh, one thing about Maryland, when you go to the Annapolis DNR office to register your or documented boat, which really drives us nuts, is that while you wait for the U.S. Coast Guard Certificate of Documentation to come back, which can take months and months and months, that office requires you to register the boat in Maryland and pay the $26. Then you have to go back to the office later with the documentation and uh, deregister the boat. It's, it's crazy. It's not done everywhere, um, but they just, you know, insist on it. So... So, you know, those are just a, a sampling of some of the states and how everything would be so different and complicated, and you just really need that guidance, you know, when you're buying the boat. Uh, but the bottom line, I'd say, is when you're cruising, just keep cruising. Don't stop. <laughs> well, don't and, and that's good long. advice. And, um, <laughs> you know, obviously the examples do show how complicated it can be. Um, so I guess two questions specific to loopers. We've mentioned that it is you can legally avoid sales tax if you continue to cruise. Are there any places that you know of along the Great Loop that perhaps the um, the time frame you can stay in state is short enough that if you had mechanical issues or something along that line, you may have trouble if you were trying to, you know, trying to do the continual cruising way of, of legally avoiding the sales tax? I have not heard of anyone having trouble with a state where they have a breakdown or they have repairs. Uh, it, it, I think where you would run into trouble, I believe, is let's say you have the repairs completed. Take Florida, for example. You're cruising there and you have repairs, and then you stay for two months. That's really pushing it. You know, If you have the repairs and you're beyond your deadline and then you left. Now, this isn't – I'm not talking about someone who's bought a boat and has registered the sales tax uh, exemption based on repairs with 20 days. Like I said, they're going to be strict on that. I'm talking about someone who's cruising in the state already um, and is staying beyond the 90 days. If you broke down, ran aground, or something like that, I, I think you could plead your case uh, that you left the state immediately thereafter, mm -hmm. but there's no guarantee of that. You, know, you just have to hope for the best. Um, okay. But I'm sure someone's had a personal experience with that. Yeah, and then the other question I would have specific to loopers is, you know, if you're looking for your perfect looping boat and you find it in a state that maybe is not um, the best from a sales tax perspective, um, how does – is there any way to shop that? Meaning, um, is the sales tax based on the physical location of the boat at the time it's sold? 
Um, have you ever seen a boat moved to close a sale to a, a more tax-friendly state? You know, how does that work? Do we have any options if we find the perfect boat, or is it just already decided at that point? Well, most states will have uh, uh, a uh, leeway when you buy the boat. So like Tennessee, the three days, uh, you mm-hmm. could buy a boat in Tennessee and move it to Alabama in three days, and you wouldn't owe Tennessee that tax. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, most states do. Uh, you know, Florida, you can do the sales tax exemption affidavit as an example. Um, right. But if you buy it and stay there, you know, for any length of time, then yes, that state, you know, is going to require you to pay that tax. Um, you, right. I see people shopping it all the time. And we'll have people in, say, Jacksonville that will ask someone to, to close on a boat in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, Jacksonville, mm-hmm. Florida, and then move it to Brunswick, Florida that type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're in you know, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, it's pretty hard to move a boat to another state and, and, uh, and try to avoid Florida sales tax. Uh, right. uh, but you do have that sales tax exemption there to cover that anyway. So. so if you do buy a boat, for example, in Florida, and you have the sales tax exemption, and you intend to keep the boat after the loop, but you are going to keep moving you know, initially for maybe that first year. Um, is it ever done that you get to a state with a favorable sales tax rule and you just choose to pay it there, or do you have to stay the amount of time, you know, that, to basically waive their exemption first? Does that make sense? Well, Florida, for example, you, you have to wait six months to come back in, and most loopers are taking six months to go around the loop before they're right. back in Florida anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the boat doesn't have to physically be in any state to pay the tax. You could be in Virginia and say, well, we're, you know, we're going to uh, uh, pay the Florida tax 6% just because we want to and base the boat there uh, and, you know, we've changed our mind or something. Uh, you can you can do it anywhere at any time. You can pay a state okay. any time. Okay. We are actually out of time. Um, obviously, a pretty complex issue, particularly um, when it comes to the taxation. Uh, the Coast Guard documentation and the registration, I think, is pretty clear-cut, and we certainly recommend that everybody get that done. Um, but lots of questions on the tax. We get them all the time. Um, so, Curtis, we appreciate you sharing some information, and I know you've put together a seminar on this that we're hoping to be able to offer at one of our upcoming events. Do you have any place – and I know you just gave this seminar um, last weekend – in Deltaville. Do you have any other places right. you plan to give it at this point? Uh, now, fortunately, we've just completed our spring event season, so we get to take a breath and uh, and focus on <laughs> business again. Uh, but uh, uh, no, our next you know event will be in Canada for your Looper Lifestyle event, but uh, uh, and then the fall rendezvous. But you know, we'll certainly uh, we're available to help anybody uh, give non-tax or legal advice, you know, if they need it. Uh, Uh, where possible. Great. And we will try to get this on the agenda at one of the upcoming events, probably not the Canada one, because most of this won't apply to Canadians, Um, but we'll get it on an agenda soon. So, Curtis, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, Safe travels until we see you again. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.